everyone, and welcome back to the Spectacular Spider Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Hollingsworth, and hopefully you've been having a great, one nice, relaxing week this week. I know I have been. Hopefully, you all have, it's been good for you all too. But we shouldn't. Get, but I don't want to waste time jibber jabbering because I really want to get into this. So last week I finished off the Spider Man villains with, of course, Venom, and now as I teased last week, I can finally get into the part that I've been dying to get to on this podcast. Well, this and the other thing, which I'll which I'll review later. This is a part of the podcast that I think that I have not been able to wait to talk about, and that is the Spider Man films. Going through all of them, watching them, and getting to review them on this podcast, which I've been very very much looking forward to because I get to share my thoughts with them on this podcast and really discuss and dissect how I feel about these movies because I watched the first one last night, and now here I am to review Spider-Man that was released in the year 2002 starring Tobey Maguire, the OG Spider-Man, as Peter Parker. Our very first live action Peter Parker that we ever got, and we will be discussing his movie in depth here. But first, before discussing the actual film itself, you have to kind of know the backstory of what it took to get to this movie. So, starting from the 70s, there had been six different attempts to get a Spider-Man movie made. The first one was about a there was a Spider-Man made-for-TV TV show running in the 70s that ended, and there was also a Hulk show around that time. And they had discussed crossing those two together, but they tried to make a TV, TV made-for-TV film that was a crossover between the two. It didn't end up happening because of because of legal disputes. I won't get into. So that ended up never happening. And then there was a bunch of different slide. There's a bunch of different theatrical Spider-Man movies that were meant to go to theaters, and so that a lot of those never happened. Like. One of them involved a, a script where, where Stan Lee wrote it himself, but that didn't ended up happening because Stan Lee was really wanting to make a theatrical film, but the studio just wanted to make it just a made-for-TV, low-budget movie. And then there was another version of it where the script involved Peter Parker being in, being endosed by radiation and becoming a man spider, so it was a little bit horror. But Stan Lee hated that, so that he made them go back to a more traditional setting. There was a bunch of other versions. And then James Cameron came in to do a Spider-Man movie that would have starred Leonardo DiCaprio playing the lead role. And it involved Electro and Sandman, and I think maybe Dr. Octopus, but I don't know too sure about that. And there was... But that version, that was, but that was gonna be rated R. You could actually find the script online. I wouldn't recommend reading it though, because it's pretty dark. It has some pretty, like a little bit mature, questionable stuff in it. So I wouldn't recommend reading it. But just know that it does exist online, and you could read it if you want to. I wouldn't recommend it, but I do. But just, just so you know, it is out there, and people have seen it, and I, and it's pretty bad. And so that never happened. And so at the same time, in Marvel, so those were all the att- there had been other attempts that I'm missing, but those were all the attempts to get a Spider-Man movie made that never happened. And so in the '90s, Marvel had been facing bankruptcy, which that may seem as it comes as a shock to some of you guys because Marvel's kind of a little bit on top of the world right now in terms of making money. But at the time, in the 90s, they were struggling with bankruptcy because of this whole thing, long story short, they had made a deal with Toy Biz to make action figures on their characters and something went wrong and so it kind of lost them money and they were facing bankruptcy. And the only way for them to make money back was to sell off the rights to make a movie about their characters. So they sold off the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and Daredevil all off the 20th Century Fox. So basically, Marvel could not make a movie because 20th Century Fox could, had had the access to those characters. So Marvel couldn't make a movie without. So basically, how that works is when Marvel sells off, like say the X Men to 20th Century Fox, they could not make a movie about them anymore because they were sold off 
to 20th Century Fox, and that's why all the X-Men movies are made by 20th Century Fox. So, and the same thing with like the Fantastic Four and that one Daredevil movie from 2003, which no one ever talks about. So those characters, Daredevil, so basically X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Daredevil went to 20th Century Fox, and then the Hulk was sold off to Universal, but eventually those reverted back. So basically, Marvel was selling off all their A-listers just in order to keep their company afloat. So they couldn't, even though the, even though this, the hard part was they weren't able to make films about them, it at least brought in the money to help them at least stay afloat in a decent way. And so then in 1999, after they just got Spider-Man back, they were still facing bankruptcy, and they decided that the only way to save their company was to sell off Spider-Man for about 200 million. Like, well, Sony came knocking on their door. Like, like Sony came knocking on their door, and Marvel offered them a bunch of other characters. They offered them not only Spider-Man. But they offered them Iron Man, Thor, Black Panther, and Ant-Man. A bunch of their big characters they, they offered Sony. But Sony took just Spider-Man for a $200 million, saying, claiming that none of those other characters, like Iron Man and all of them, were very popular. No one cared about them. So they only took Spider-Man. And you can tell that they've definitely gotten their money's worth of this character, no matter how good the movies have been. They did get their money's worth out of that character for $200 million, might I, might I add, how much they paid for Spider-Man. Or something, I don't remember the exact amount, but I know they did pay a lot in order to get Spider-Man. So, that's kind of the background for this, uh, leading up to this movie. And also, because this movie came out in 2002, there is kind of a divide. This may come as a shock to some people also, but there is a divide in how some people look at this movie. Some people look at it as, like, of course, some people who went to see it when it first came out, like, when it, like, when it first came out in the theater, some of the people, this was the first PG-13 movie they ever saw, and, like, this is the first Spider-Man movie, like, like this is, like, how they were introduced to Spider-Man was through this. And then there's the other half of the people who are, like, modern-day teenagers who grew up watching the main mainstream Marvel movies, and they go back and watch this, and some people say that it's dated, which both sides are fair for what they believe, I think. And even also before this movie, comic book movies weren't really big in like making money as they are now. Because Batman and Robin came out, and it was so cheesy, so over the top, and I haven't seen it, but like it's over the top and cheesy, that it kind of poisoned the audience's view on comic book movies and whether or not this could be good. So then the movie Blade came out in 1999, it made decent money. And then in 2000, the year, the year 2000, the 31st X-Men movie came out, which was a much better, which was a much more well-known property than Blade, and it made more money. And then this year, well, not this year, but in 2002, this movie came out and took the world by storm and proved that comic book movies are not just box office poison, and that these can actually work and not be cheesy. I mean, sure, this movie, like, we'll, we'll talk about this, but it has some, like, campy stuff, but it works, and it doesn't go over the top and goofy. Like, it's, like, it has, like, campy stuff, like, campy dialogue here and there, but it works. And this was one of the movies that kind of paved the way. Like, we would not have gotten, we probably would not have gotten, like, the first Iron Man if it wasn't for this movie doing so well. We probably would not have gotten these, ma the mainstream Marvel movies, like, Iron Man, the event, or even the Avengers. Like, if this movie had, had did not done so well, we probably would not have gotten the Iron Man, Iron Man or the first Avengers movie. So this probably would never have happened. So with all that said, what exactly is my thoughts on this movie? So I'll just say this right off the bat. I think that this is a very, very good translation of the Spider-Man character to the films. This movie is definitely, definitely, a lot of people praise this as being one of the best Spider-Man movies of all time. And it definitely is. It's probably one of the best, best comic book movies of all time. It does the best job, I think, of translating the source material to the big screen. Because it has bright colors 
but it doesn't go over the top to where it's just silly and cartoony and goofy. Like, it stays in that, like, it does have campy elements, but it go, it just stays, like, in the realist, like, not realistic, it stays in the serious, it doesn't lose it. It takes itself seriously, even though it has a little bit campy. And, like, it does the best job of taking the, taking the world of Spider-Man from the comics and translating it to the big screen in one of the most accurate ways possible. Like, like I could be a little biased in what I'm about to say, but I think that this is, I, out of all the comic book movies that were made in, like, the 2000s, I think this movie does the best job of just taking the comic books and just putting it on screen in the most faithful way possible. Sam Raimi absolutely killed it when he came to that. Like, I think he really, you can tell he really cared about being like, how can we make this look like how it does on the page and make it look good? Like, I mean, I love the X-Men, I love the X-Men characters, but you can't deny that they really messed up when it came to like really translating the source material into the move into the movie because they just took away the classic costumes and gave us black leather suits go listen to the x-files podcast for my feelings on those x-men movies but for spider-man they took what was risky at the time for doing bright colors and they took the classic spider-man suit which is that's like i know it can be i can sound biased but that's like the only comic book suit that you can put on a big screen and not look goofy like you can take that they took the classic spider-man suit which has this is known for being bright colors red and blue which is what Spider-Man's been has for years and has been his classic design. And they just put it on the screen and it's just mwah. Chef's kiss. It's awesome. Like I guess I could use it to talk about the Spider-Man suit. This Spider-Man suit is one of the best. I mean, I mean, sure the Spider-Man suits have improved over the years, but this one definitely holds up. And they improve it too as the movies go on. They give it like they make it they improve like the the blue and the red. They make the the spider a little bit bigger in the second movie. So they improve on the suit, but there's not much to improve on. This suit is just perfect translation. Very much, very pleasing to look at. Like you can tell, like Sam Raimi really put a lot of they put a lot of effort into this movie, into this character, into this suit to make it look as accurate as possible. Sure, the eyes, I, I don't sure I don't sure the eyes can be a bit whiter, like, like they how they are in the comics. But overall, this is a very much a classic Spider-Man suit, and this is one of the best jobs. This is one of the best parts of this movie. Is like not only did they translate the world. And to very well to the, to the big screen, but they also translate the costume that Spider-Man has with the webs very much. And all they do a very faithful way of telling the Spider-Man origin story in the most faithful way possible with the or with the being bit by the spider and then becoming getting his powers, but not exactly becoming Spider-Man. He gets his powers. They get the with great power, there must also come great responsibility speech, and it's so classic to the Spider-Man character. Get that, and then of course we get him being giving, doing the wrestling match, and then of course he gets cheated. He's selfish, and he lets his uncle die. Only they goes after the robber that killed him to learn that same guy killed his killed his uncle, just to learn that he's his, because of his own selfishness he allowed his uncle to die, and that was that's what drives him to become the Spider Man that we all know him as in this movie. And that's such a great faithful job, all with a very classic. Spider-Man suit and along those same lines it does a great job of doing the Spider-Man world very well not the Spider-Man world it just does a great job of doing visual effects because like you do like the visual effects of course before then you couldn't do what these web swinging scenes are. sure they're dated sure they're not as great as they could be which I'll discuss this later but uh, they're not as good, they're not as good now, but at the time this was a revolutionary breakthrough because before you couldn't do this because digital effects weren't really around or something that 
or something that superhero movies really had access to. And here, they just did it perfectly. It looks very realistic. Sure, of course, like, because they actually use a camera and would, like, swing it through New York, drop it down. And they would just animate Spider-Man in the, in the middle of it as they're using real cameras and actually physically swinging them. And they animate Spider-Man in there, and it looks very realistic. Sure, it doesn't hold up as well, but I think that it still looks very realistic, even in today's standards. I think that these hold up very well. I mean, sure, some sequences it doesn't hold up as well, like the, like when he's going after the the mugger in the movie, like when he like he's running to the alley. Sure, that part when he's crawling on the wall doesn't look as well, but I think I think for the most part these hold up very well, and they revolutionize how to do visual effects without it going too far. Although that has become a problem in the third movie, I'm just gonna stick to the positive for it. And along the same lines of doing Spider-Man's world, they do it very well before and after the bite. Like before Spider-Man gets before Peter gets bitten. You really understand how he's just a, a social outcast of a nerd and how they don't really respect him very – now no one really likes him very much. And then, of course, and like how, like they establish like his best friend with, Norman, with Harry Osborn, and then they establish how Norman Osborn respects Peter more than his own son. And then they show you Flash Thompson, who's his school, school bully, and then they, of course, show you Mary Jane, who is his main love interest throughout this trilogy. And they understand why he's interested, but she doesn't really know he exists just yet and or why she's – should she care about him just yet? Although that's, I guess, become important as the movie goes on. And then after the bite, of course, it shows, a, like I mentioned before, it's a really great job of doing the full origin of a hero's journey, showing how Peter Parker becomes the Spider-Man. So that's the story aspect of it. But, of course, this movie has some great casting. Like, I mean, all the people are in his movies are casted very well. But it does have some standouts, though. Willem Dafoe... <coughs> Excuse me. Willem Dafoe, in particular, is the standout casting in this in this movie because he's probably the best Spider-Man movie villain movie villain of them all. I think because he's just so good at doing the norm at doing the Norman Osborn side. When he does the Goblin, the Green Goblin side, he just goes crazy, goes bonkers. He's just eating up the screen time and he does it so well where it doesn't feel like he's going over the top because it's because it allows because it makes sense in the context of this film for him to be this crazy and on helium and on like and on helium throughout this entire thing because he's just going nuts and it works and it's awesome so he absolutely knocked it out of the park and he's also the, he also gets equal as much as development as peter parker does in this movie is that he gets equal development you really understand how, who he was before, and then after the lab experiment gone wrong, he you really see his descent into madness with his Green Goblin side, and like you like he's not like sympathetic, but you can see how far he how you can see oh how the mighty have fallen from his glory to this crazy psychopathic guy. And you could feel bad for him, like you, they could, there's a there's a hint of like in the movie they give you a hint of like maybe Norman's not fully in control, but like in the ending scene when he's talking to Peter is he has the his gliders just slowly come up from behind him ready to like stab him so you can just kind of know that he wasn't ever a real he wasn't ever the greatest of guys and even before he was just favoring peter over his own son even before the lab accident he was very much just focused on the businessman business savvy so he was so you can they can make the assumption that he was never really the best the best of guys even before the lab accident but still it does a great job of giving him equal development as the hero making him a very great villain where as you can like see how far he's fallen and like some people criticize like the marvel movies don't really give the villain as much development as the hero gets and this movie is a i think is a perfect example of how to do a villain that gets equal development as the hero. So, Willem Dafoe, standout casting this movie. 
Another standout performance is J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Another classic casting choice to come out of this movie. So much so that Far From Home had got cold feet and they brought him back to be J. Jonah Jameson again. And of course he was J. Jonah Jameson in No Way Home because... And I can see why, because this movie, he's just perfect for this role, absolutely nailed the casting, and he's just so good at playing this character, who, like, he just very much, he cares about new, selling newspapers and getting pictures of Spider-Man. He hates Spider-Man for no reason, which is a classic part of J. Jonah Jameson, although it's implied that he doesn't like Spider-Man because he wears a mask and doesn't like vigilantes, but it's just fun to assume that he hates him for no reason. So they, they, he does that so well, and one might even wonder if J.K. Simmons was even really acting, because it's just felt like, you can, like, one can make the assumption that maybe he wasn't even acting, he was just yelling at everybody on the set, just throwing insults and yelling, because he just does that so well, it's just a thing where he's just, like, yelling at everybody. But also, they gave him, like, a little bit of humanity. Like, they showed him some humanity in this guy because when Green Goblin blows up his newsroom to try and get to get to the where Peter Parker is, who takes pictures of Spider-Man, he doesn't just, like, throw him under the bus at all. He's just like, I don't know who he is. And that's kind of like an ad- – and I, I, I've heard that there's some debate over whether or not that's in character for James L. Jameson to do. Some people say it's in character. Others say it doesn't make any sense. I think that it does – Makes sense. It fits. It fits this character because that's how J. Joe Jameson has always been portrayed. That he had. He's an angry man, but he has a heart. He's not a complete monster. So I think that that I think that that makes perfect sense for him to be like just like this guy who doesn't really like like Peter the best, but he's not gonna throw him under the bus when someone's trying to threaten him, which I think that's a very admirable part of this of J. Joe Jameson. So he's like he's another standout casting, and then of course you have Tobey Maguire in the lead role who. I mean, sure, he was 26 years old when they cast him, and he was, and you can really tell that it's a 26-year-old playing a high schooler. But at that time, that was normal for like 20-year-old men to be cast as high schoolers. So even Napoleon Dynamite did that. So like, it's not like that's just nor- at this point at that time that was normal for 20-year-old men to be teenagers, and like it kind of fits this world in a, in a bit because he, but like you can look past it for the most part because he's able to do portray the Peter Parker characters so well that you can like kind of look past how it's a little bit campy and goofy that a 26 year old man is playing a high school. So I mean, I mean, sure. I'm sure it kind of like bugs me being like, especially, especially in the beginning scene when he's running after the bus, just being like, Oh yeah, that's definitely a man chasing a school bus. But because he does such a good job portraying the character of Peter Parker, I personally don't really don't really find that much of a problem. Sure, it's noticeable, and sure, it's kind of glaring, but I don't really find that to be a problem. It doesn't really affect my enjoyment of this movie and my enjoyment of his portrayal of the character on screen. I'm just enjoy I enjoy watching Spider-Man, so I'm not. And just because it's a 26 year old man, I'm not gonna let that stop me from enjoying this movie. And so then that's and then also of course we have the I think the best casting choices for these specific characters is that Uncle Ben played by Cliff Robertson and Aunt May played by Roseberry Harris. Uncle Ben is, this is like the best, this is like my favorite version of Uncle Ben hands down of all time. This Uncle Ben is awesome. Like, you can see, you really buy that he really has, like, loves Peter, and he's trying to make sure that he doesn't go down the wrong, he's trying to make sure that he matures into a man, because he says that in the teenage years, that's when a man is, is developing, that's when like, the boy is, trying, is, is developing into a man he's going to be for the rest of his life. And he gives him the, with great power comes great responsibility speech. And, like, because this actor is just, and I just love this actor so much. He does just, he just does Uncle Ben so well. Like, this guy is Uncle Ben in my mind. Like, 
I mean, sure, there's been some good Uncle Bens in the past, but this guy is just, like, I just think that he's perfect casting for Uncle Ben. And even Aunt May is good, which I respect the actress of Aunt May, she actually got ripped for this movie, like, which is a little known fact. She actually got ripped to play his part. You wouldn't think that an Aunt May, when an actress is cast as Aunt May, you wouldn't think that they would get ripped, but this person did. Rosemary Harris actually did get ripped to play this part. I mean, you could see it because, like, she gets she gets blown up at one point in the movie, so you can see how they, how that would be true. So, of course, that was a great scene. And then, well, that's just a great casting choice. And then, of course, my, probably the standout se- sequence of this movie is the final battle on the, on the, on the Brooklyn Bridge. I forgot which, which bridge it is, where Green Goblin has taken these kids hostage, and he has Mary Jane. And, of course, they're doing a reference to the night when Stacey died when he drops Mary Jane. But, of course, Mary Jane doesn't die. So, like, he, he presents Spider-Man with a choice, and then so... The whole movie, like the whole movie, when he became when Peter became Spider Man, they built up the idea that New York, not all New York, very much is a, is in favor of him. And even after Green Goblin says, after once another really great scene when Green Goblin's talking to Spider Man and says, "In spite of everything you've done for them, eventually they will hate you," which is a very awesome, which is a very awesome scene. And I would argue set the groundwork for the Batman and Joker scene in the Dark Knight. Fight me on that. I'm being serious. So. Like that's and I love that scene because he's like really getting Spider Man to question is he is what he's doing even worth it being the path of the hero he tries to get Spider Man to like fall for him but Spider Man doesn't fall in, fall for him at all he stays in his beliefs with Uncle Ben and of course the, the scene in the bridge is just great because they built up the idea that not all of New York is in favor of Spider Man they really play that idea like when after he's Spider Man so when he gets to the bridge and Green Goblin's about to make the final blow. That's when New York steps in and does the does the line of "You mess with one of us, you mess with you mess with all of us, you mess with Spidey, you mess with New York," which is a very classic scene. Always puts a smile on my face because that's such a great scene. It just pays off the idea because even though they hey they've been kind of hating on Spider-Man before, it just knows they know that he's one of them, and when he's in trouble, they'll have his back. And that's a classic part of these Spider-Man movies is that New York is essentially treated as a character. And that whenever Spider-Man's always in a predicament, New York will always have his back to support him against whatever threat he's fighting. That's a classic thing that Spider-Man, this movie does, Spider-Man 2 does it. And even the amazing Spider-Man, even though it's, even though you can question why doesn't he just swing from the buildings that those cranes are on top of, that scene still is a very much classic moment of New York coming to Spider-Man's help. Which I think this movie does very well. And also it makes sense, it made sense to do this because this movie came out one year after 9-11 and of course, that was, and that was also not a nice way to pay homage to the fact that actually New Yorkers stepped in after that tragic moment. So it made sense to do that in light of this context in this movie, and it absolutely works for New York to come in and step behind Spider-Man and like have his back. So, all in all, this is a very phenomenally made, rock-solid Spider-Man film that is a very classic genre. However, there are a few like nitpicks that I have with this movie and we can so like some this isn't necessarily a bad portion of the review it's just stuff that i don't don't think like works as well and that is so like the first point is some of the effects are are dated a little bit like you can tell like some of these effects are like something like some of the swinging scenes are a little bit dated like like, certainly someone could argue that but like i personally like i mentioned before i personally don't find that to be a problem i think they hold up very well in this movie but i can see where some people would say that it seems a little dated. It doesn't look as good as, say, the Andrew Garfield films or the Tom Holland Spider-Man swinging films, which I think that I think that Andrew Garfield has his best Spider-Man swinging scenes. But I'll get to that later. So I think I can see where that was. But also, when it comes to the casting choices in this, I mean, I think I think like I said, I think everyone's casted well and everyone plays their parts well. 
I just don't think that James Franco and Kirsten Dunst are necessarily the best in these movies. Now, these that, this could change. Well, some, well, some, like some, someone, like I, I, okay, I can't talk. So, like, I, th- like my, my main point is, I don't think James, Fra- I don't think James Franco or Kirsten Dunst is very good in this either. So let's start with Mary Jane. Some people might get upset. I know that this, that this has been done to death of how Kirsten Dunst is the worst MJ. And everyone finds her the most annoying. Which I mean, she gets. I mean, she's not. I mean, I can see their point because they're talking about the other. They're talking about the trilogy as a whole. But in this movie, she's not that bad. I mean, she gets. She's. She just. It just depends on the way she's written. And like this is not the traditional MJ Mary Jane from the comics. The traditional Mary Jane from the comics was always kind of in the background. Because like Peter Parker in the comics was always was his main love interest was Gwen Stacy, but Mary Jane was just always in the background as this girl next door, like that she was always in the background. She but she got popular, so that's why she was made Peter Parker's main love interest, who he eventually ends up marrying. And so here they kind of changed that to make her more of the main love interest for Peter Parker, because I think because like I think because the main thing of doing this was just to show, was just to introduce the general audience to Spider Man. And so she does that here, like it's just more of the way she's written, but also she doesn't really do much in this movie because she gets kidnapped three times in this film and she does she's mostly strange she's not really given much to do to do because she's mostly treated as a damsel in the stress it's just in the end of the world it's just and it's not even really her fault it's just she's just doing what she's given it's just what she's given isn't necessarily the best per se because she's just either screaming or getting kidnapped and she just isn't given the best like so i mean i don't think she's terrible i mean the other movies i'll have i have more to say about her in the other movies but like, I think in this one, she's not she's not terrible. And some, I can see where some people are coming from. I can even agree with some people who don't like her performance on other movies. But I think here she's not as bad as she she doesn't she does she's not as bad as she is in the other movies. And then James Franco as Harry Osborne, I don't think that he's very I don't really think that he's I don't necessarily think he's the best Harry Osborne in this movie either. Like to me, he just felt like he was tired throughout this whole movie. Like he was just kind of like mumbling a lot. And I think, but he does. He does. Now, get, don't get me wrong. He plays Harry Osborn well. He does the thing of like Peter, being Peter's just kind of best friend. They're both out. They're both outcasts for different reasons because Harry Osborn has been flunking out of every school that he's ever been sent to, and Peter's a nerd, so they're both kind of outcasts, and they kind of connect on that. That's why they're really good friends because they're both kind of outcasts but harry also they also play into harry's selfishness where he respects peter but he doesn't respect him enough because he's just he's just going he doesn't respect him enough because he goes ahead and steals mary jane from peter kind of showing that he doesn't really respect him as much as you would think i think that james franco does do his role well i just don't think that his acting was necessarily the best because i mean he does he does he trains harry osborne well but I just feel like he's just kind of mumbling a lot. He felt tired. Like, I mean, he's not terrible, but I think that he's, he's just, he does his part well. It's just, I don't think he was, act his acting was the best. I think he gets better. I think out of these two, I think, I think James Franco gets better as the movies go along and Kirsten Dunst kind of gets worse as the movies go along. So I think it's, so it's kind of interesting how they kind of like, how one gets better and the other gets not as good. So next, I mean, they improve. I mean, he improves over this movie, but as for this one, I don't think he does the best job in this movie. And then also, one final note is also, some other note about to say in the negatives is that some of the dialogue particularly hasn't aged very well. Like, of course, there's lines like "with great power comes great responsibility," and I missed the part where that's my problem. Those are two classic lines that are in this movie that have aged very well. And of course, the great, the great power comes great responsibility speech is iconic. But some of the dialogue is is a little bit hammy and corny. Like some of it is a little bit cheesy, some campiness to it. 
But, but of course, that's just San Raimi's style. He's known for, I mean, sure, he's done, like, horror movies, but he's known for having just, like, can't, like, score, like some kind of, like, campy dialogue. But that's just part of the charm of this movie is that, like, there's some campy moments, but it takes itself seriously never goes, like, over-the-top silly with it. So, like, it's not even really that big of an issue, and I can't, I can look past it. But still, some of the dialogue's a little bit dated. Like, the scene where he's, where Peter and MJ are talking in, this in like the hospital scene is is like the quintessential example of like when he's talking about when he, like when MJ asks him like what what he told Spider Man about her that that dialogue in particular I think does not doesn't hold up the best but I think it's fine and it works for the for context of this film and then finally this is another one that's been done to death and I can completely wholeheartedly agree with this criticism that the Green Goblin suit in this movie is r- totally ridiculous. Like, if you look at the Spider-Man costume, that, that thing was beautifully translated to, to, to screen. It just looks beautiful on screen. It's awesome. And I just don't understand why they couldn't have put that same level of care and effort into the Green Goblin suit. Because, I mean, sure, green, I mean, if you were to go directly green rubber mask, purple spandex, that would look a little silly. But, come on, if you're able to translate the Spider-Man suit with that much care... Why couldn't you have done the same for the Green Goblin suit? Like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been that hard to at least put purple on this suit? Like, I mean, it's just looks. I mean, it's just a. They took the name. I think they took the name Green Goblin too literally, and they just made him just a full green suit. And the piece. I mean, the suit itself would be fine. It's just the mask is one of the thing that ruins it for me. Like, and that's kind of like the one. And like, well, the suit Willem Dafoe is just terrific, top of his game. It's just the suit that he has to wear in this movie is not. It's just completely ridiculous. Like, I mean, would they have killed him at least? I mean, if they had, they had at least put purple on this costume, I would have been fine. I maybe would have been able to look past it. But it's just fully green. It just looks like a Power Rangers suit. And personally, like, they even real and everyone says this, and No Way Home even realizes this, that Willem Dafoe is better without the mask on. He's just, he's already creepy enough. He doesn't need that mask to be scary. I mean, he does, I mean, I do think he does a good job being intimidating, even though that suit is silly beyond all reasoning. I do think that he does do a good job of being intimidating with it on. He pull, he does the best he can, it's just the suit doesn't look the best. But, I mean, the, the suit, I mean, it's fine. It's just, it just looks super silly. But they had, it's even in particular, it just looks bad when you look at some of the behind the scenes and originally they were going to do like a more comics accurate Green Goblin mask, because originally they were going to do, like, a prosthetic head. You can look this up. You can look up prosthetic Green Goblin head, and it would most likely come up. That's what they were going to do, and it looked way more accurate. But the reason they didn't do that is because it would, it would have been really expensive, and, and, and Willem Dafoe apparently did not want to wear that mask. So they end up dropping that. But, like I was saying, Willem Dafoe is scary enough without that mask on. He doesn't even need that mask. They could have just done the suit, no mask. That's what, something, that's what No Way Home did. And, like, because, like, Willem Dafoe, I mean this in the best way possible. His face in this movie legit looks like a goblin. Like, his face in this movie just looks like Green Goblin. Like, you could paint his face green, and it would just look like Green Goblin. I mean that in the best way possible. Like, his face is completely goblin-esque in this movie. And you didn't even, you do not need a mask to make this guy scary. But they gave him a mask, and they made his suit all green, no purple, which I'm very picky about, if you know me. About when it comes to comic-accurate suits, I'm very picky. And they didn't put purple on the suit, which makes me mad. So it's just, it's just, and the, and the end result, I mean, and he's still intimidating, and Willem Dafoe is still awesome in this movie. It doesn't, it doesn't like bring him down in my viewing of him in this movie, but this suit, it's just, this suit, I'm just disappointed with this suit, and I think that they could have done better, because in the end, this suit just looks really ridiculous. And of course, another, and so that's 
the main gist of this of the Spider-Man thoughts. I could go on all day talking about this movie because there's some tons of scenes that I love, like the final fight scene I love, the mo- the crime fighting montage I think is great. The ending in the movie where he en- where Mary Jane confesses that she loves him, but Peter has to turn her down because she does he doesn't want to put her in danger because he's Spider-Man, which leads into the second movie, Spider-Man Two, which I can't wait to review next week. So. Like there's a lot of, I mean, sure, there's some nitpicks, like everything, all these negatives I listed, they're mostly just nitpicks. Because at the end of the day, I think that this is a great Spider-Man film. It does like, the best job of translating comic book source material to the big screen. It does it in such a carefully, well, well thought out way of really paying attention and really putting effort and care of going, how can we make this look like how it does on the page and it just does it in such a great fashion. It revolutionized Spider-Man, revolutionized visual effects technology, and it really does a good job of like doing practical sets, like the fight on the like the fight on the balcony. That's a very good because it's doing practical sets with visual effects. It's the best of both worlds, and so it does a great job of doing the Spider of doing the doing the Spider-Man character justice, having the best Spider-Man movie villain in Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, having a stand one standout a great. Unrecastable J. Jo- re- unrecastable character in J. Jonah Jameson because nowadays this is the only Spider-Man character that you can't recast is J.K. is J. Jonah Jameson because anyone who who has casted J. Jonah Jameson will immediately be compared to J.K. Simmons. So there, that's another that's another iconic thing this movie has done is made J. Jonah Jameson only able to be played by J.K. Simmons because if someone else takes on the role, which I would be, I would actually be okay if someone were to take up the role, but I doubt they would be nearly as good as J.K. Simmons as a Jake as J. Jonah Jameson. He's just so good. This movie has, I mean, sure, this movie has its has its flaws, but at the end of the day, I think it's a very much classic Spider-Man film. Probably the best translation of comic book to movie. And Sam Raimi was probably the perfect one to bring this to, to, to the big screen. And that's the best job of translating the classic comic story of Spider-Man to the big screen in the best way possible with the best Spider-Man movie villain. And this isn't even a peak of Spider of, of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. That comes next week with Spider-Man 2. So all that to say, uh, in total, I'd definitely give this a, a rock-solid 9.5 out of 10. This is a very this is definitely a must-watch. You should see this movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch this. This is a classic film. If you want to know how Spider-Man was, if you want if you want to be a total Spider-Man completionist and see all the movies, then this is definitely the one to start with. This is a classic film and you should watch this. So 9. Point, in the end, it's a 9.5 out of 10 for me. So without further ado, thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed. Don't forget to don't forget to follow me on on Instagram at the Spectacular Spider Nerd Podcast. And hopefully you enjoy. Hopefully you enjoyed the Spider Man review. I know this is maybe a little lengthy. That's just because there's more to talk about with movies as opposed to actual characters. So this so these movie reviews could be like a little lengthy. And hopefully you guys enjoy that because you guys hopefully you enjoy you guys and hopefully you guys enjoyed really getting to hear my thoughts on this movie and what I think about about it and all the little things that I love. Sometimes I don't love as much. But all in all, this is a great film. You must you should watch it. Be sure to follow me on Instagram, the Spectacular Spider Nerd, and I'll see you guys next week when I review my when I review when I review the next one in the trilogy, Spider Man Two. Peace out, webheads.